Hello everyone, happy 2020 and welcome back! It's Betting Chicago right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Joey Christopoulos. It's a new year, it's a new decade, so let's talk a little bit about all of our favorite shy squads today. But first, let's tell you a little bit about our sponsor. Who else could it be other than my bookie? Guys, Christmas is over. I hope it was great. I hope you guys got a chance to spend time with friends and family. But the Super Bowl now is quickly approaching. It's only a couple weeks away. And we're asking ourselves questions like, can the Ravens go all the way? Are the 49ers for real? Is everyone sleeping on the Chiefs? Well, all this means you got to head over to my bookie to make your predictions a reality. My bookie is one of the most trusted in the industry. And if you're looking for a sports book to make some bets for the bowl games while they're still going on, my bookie is where you want to go. And trust me, guys, if football is not your thing, no worries. They got it all. They got the NBA. They even got the Premier League. You can make bets on pretty much anything off of my bookie. They've got the fastest payouts, best promotions, a very helpful 24-7 customer service team, and you can even pull your bets together for a bigger payout. That's called a parlay, kids. You can bet multiple games at the same time so you can win big. What better? My bookie has more lines and betting odds for the player than any other sports book around. So if you join right now, my bookie, here's what they're going to do. They will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. So that means, folks, let's do the math. If you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV. That's our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie because when you bet on my bookie, you can win, and that means you'll get paid. Thank you so much, you guys, for joining me. Welcome back, everyone. Took a little time off, had a birthday, got a brand new pair of Zubas, got a Khalil Mack jersey, got a cool Cubs shirt. My swag game is ready to hit the decade. Not so sure if our Chicago sports teams are ready to hit this decade. So what I want to do today is I kind of want to walk around the block a little bit, talk a little bit about each one of the teams, just kind of see where we're at, take a little bit of a pulse, get the new year started off right, and uh, hopefully have some fun. We're going to start today first off with the Bears. And what I want to do today is I kind of went back and I listened to the first podcast that I did for Believe Way, way, way back in August when I made some predictions on some over-unders, and we're going to go over whether I was correct or not. Um, gosh, my voice at the time, I was, so full of, I was so full of life and vigor and energy. I mean, at the time, I told everyone that I was really excited for the season. Uh, the understatement of that podcast that I picked up on was, if I could quote myself for a moment, that I was quoted as saying, there could be some unders on the money lines this year. Uh, yeah, I think that totally worked out, Joey, from the past. So let's just kind of roll through it real quick. Let's just call it like I see it. Um, you know, the, the line to start the year had the Bears at nine. Obviously, they came under that at eight. I picked the Bears to win 11, win 11 games this year, which I was wrong on. So that move, that movement was under. So I lost that one. I think we all know why. <laughs> I think we all know what we possibly need to do to move forward to fix it up. So let's go over to some more positive side of things. David Montgomery, David Montgomery's line for rushing yards to start the season was at 848. I said over. That was a winner, guys. He got 889. I mean, it didn't feel like it, but by the end of the year, you know, he became the unquestioned number one running back very, very quickly, a little bit quicker than I thought I was going to, even though I still was very confident in that bet. The line for his rushing touchdowns this year was six rushing touchdowns. I ended up picking the under 
I lost that one. That turned out to be a push. He got exactly six rushing touchdowns. Um, you know, what can we say? The running game needs severe, severe improvement. I mean, the reason why I, I like the over on that in general is I just thought Mike Davis and Tariq Cohen were going to be more involved. And it turns out that they weren't at all. And it was really Montgomery or bust from the backfield. And it was mostly bust because they couldn't get it going. Uh, Allen Robinson over a thousand yards. I picked that as an over. That was a major win. Good job by you past Joey. And then Trubisky started off the season. His over under passing yards was 3,750 passing yards. And I said some glowing things about Trubisky that I wish I could take back, but I can't. But guys, I still went under on that number because obviously primarily the Bears have never had a 4,000 yard passer on their team ever in history. So that number seemed a little tough for me to buy in on. And I also didn't like his, the fact that Trubisky might not play 16 games and he didn't play 16 games. And even when he was on the field throwing the ball and it seemed like that he had some sort of pulse and uh, a guy that was playing out there, he wasn't playing. So he finished the year with 3,138 yards. I picked the under on that. That was another win. Um, I'm probably we're going to stop with the Bears right around here. Uh, I think moving forward, we're going to be talking a lot about what's going to happen at the quarterback position. I know at the year end press conference that they said all the right things about how they believe in Trubisky. But let's be honest, all the scenarios heading into the offseason that we thought could possibly happen are all very, very, very much in play. You know, sometimes when you start to hypothetically fantasize about who's going to be available, some of these guys, some of these situations kind of get um, shorn up, shored up a little bit. And none of them did. I mean, Philip Rivers is probably leaving the Chargers. Uh, Eli Manning is probably going to retire. You know, Cam Newton, they just the Panthers today just hired the Baylor coach. Now that's got to bring into question of whether they actually want to keep Cam Newton around. He could possibly be available. Drew Brees is the one guy who I think will re-sign with the Saints, even though the past couple of years he's had some just absolute back-breaking turnovers at the wrong times in playoff games, and he is getting older. Hasn't looked awesome late in the season. You got a question whether that thumb is healthy, but he's probably coming back. And then, guys, the Tom Brady situation. I'm just going to keep it very brief. Um, let's go for it. <laughs> I'm, way, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. We can get into more detail with that soon. And it might not even be a situation that we could even entertain. He could sign any day now. But I want to move on really quickly. I want to hit um, a couple other teams here real quick. Now, guys, on the Believe Podcast Network, I haven't really dipped into the Blackhawks a whole lot. And I have to be honest with you, I haven't really been watching a lot. I've caught some bits and pieces, some periods here and there. I'm always following the box score. I'm always curious to see how they're doing. And for the most part... It just seems like this is a team that, again, is in transition. They've gone from a situation where they were like at the bottom of the Western Conference, and then all of a sudden they were a couple of points out of the wild card, and now they've kind of sort of fallen back a little bit more. They're not quite the worst team. They're not quite the best team, and they might not be playoff ready. And it's it, it's sad. It's sad kind of where it is right now. And it seems like there's a lot of different things going on that team going on in dual fronts. And I don't know much, but just kind of looking – at some of the box scores and some of the stats, here's some stuff that you really can't uh, be too happy about. Obviously, they're missing a secondary scoring threat this season. Patrick Kane is still an all-star, but Alex DeBrinkett is way off of his pace right now from goal scored in previous seasons. He's only got 10 right now through 43 games. Um, that's not that great. He's taking a step back. 
Obviously, Brandon Saad hurt right now. Hasn't been the best player, but he's a solid guy in the second line. He's going to miss weeks at a time. That hurts a whole lot. The Nylander project, the reclamation project of trying to see if you can get something out of a former high-round pick hasn't worked out great. He's he's still sitting at a minus 9 right now. Calvin DeHaan, who was a plus 10, was making strides and looking great. Now he's out for the rest of the season. What are you going to do there? And then let's talk about the kids. I mean, I've liked I've liked some some of the things I've seen from Kirby Doc, but obviously he's a young kid who needs as much ice time as possible. Adam Bokovis, same situation, but he's at a minus six right now. And that all kind of plays into what's really bothering this team is that the blue line, the defense is brutal. Even though the goaltending's been fantastic, the blue line's been really bad. The penalty kill hasn't been great, and the power play has been awful. I believe the Blackhawks are only converting on 15% of their power play opportunities. Guys, if you don't know a lot about hockey, that is not good. All right, you got to at least try and get it over 18. Got to get at least into the 20s to at least be considered respectable. And that just isn't happening right now. And the big story is that the goaltending's been really good. Crawford's been good, but he's been splitting time with Laner most of the season. And Laner's been fantastic. It was a great free agent move for only $5 million. Um, a guy who can be an elite top-notch goalie but didn't really have a great market from him from some of his personal issues off the ice. I get it all. But here's the deal. You know, the Blackhawks are at 500 right now. Can they make the playoffs? Maybe they're going to have to start playing a whole lot better um, on a roster that has been thinned out a little bit by injuries and has tons of youth on it. And that's the problem is Leonard could play great this season and he can totally price himself out next year and sign with some other team. And then you really got to start to ask yourself, is Crawford – not just the goalie of next season, you know, or the goalie of the future, but is he the goalie for next season? I mean, how many more years are you going to be able to get out of him? So there's a lot of questions going on with the Blackhawks. It's not looking great. Um, I'm not necessarily on board with you have to trade a guy like a Taves, and you definitely cannot trade to Kane. Kane is an untradeable. He is the most untradeable asset in Chicago sports right now. You absolutely cannot do that. So they're just kind of hoping that some of their younger guys get some more experience, get a little bit better. You know, Strom's having a pretty nice season so far. And you're just kind of hoping that that continues to move towards something that can possibly be solidified, have a nice young blend of young and old on the team next year, and maybe they could shore up their defense and try and make something happen. I got to be honest, guys. That's about all I got on the Blackhawks. So let's go to the Bulls real quick. Been watching more of the Bulls lately. I'll be honest, um, coming into the season, here's my whole thought process was I've had a really hard time watching Bulls basketball the last couple of years. This year, though, I truly thought that they were going to be a team that I would want to watch in the sense of that they would be entertaining. Um, the aspect that, you know, they're not just going to get blown out every single night. They're going to play well some nights. They're going to hang in some games. Sure, they might lose some late, and they've lost plenty. Trust me, they've blown plenty of fourth-quarter leads this year. But all in all, the quality of basketball will be a little bit better. And it has been for the most part. I watched them play the Mavericks last night. I'll be honest, I watched some of the highlights. Luka Doncic seemed to completely get whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. Laurie Markkinen played good. I liked that he was aggressive going into the paint. I even liked early on that Zach Levine was kind of distributing the basketball and cutting to the lane and passing the ball. And don't look now, Bulls fans, but they're actually like – a top five, top eight defense through a lot of statistical categories. And we're about halfway through the season. The problem is they can't put the ball in the basket. 
I've mentioned this stat before. I believe they're shooting 32-33% from three-point land at home. That is absolutely brutal. You know, Zach Levine, he... He is he is a pure scorer, but he does have to work very very hard to get his points. And then after that, who is that guy that can go out and just get you a bucket? Do you like Kobe White a whole lot? But let's be honest, again, it's been a lot of the same thing, a lot of inconsistencies, which is okay for a 19 year old, but a lot of inconsistencies. One night he's uh, three for 11, the next night he'll score 15, 18 points. I do love that he can have a little heat check moment in the fourth quarter. He has been he has shown that he can take over latter stages of the game and actually either put games away or bring the Bulls back. I do think that's a quality to keep an eye on that can be progressed. But here's the deal, guys, and it's coming up right now. The Bulls have a schedule over the next six or seven weeks that I looked at and I personally don't feel that is very daunting. And if they have any interest at all in making the playoffs, now is the time to do it because once we get around to March, and once we get through March and get to April, their schedule actually gets pretty tough. They play a lot of tough tough Western Conference teams. They're going to be vying for playoff seedings, and it is not going to get easy. So here's what the next 14 games look like for the Bulls. The Pelicans, winnable. Pacers, winnable. Pistons, winnable. Celtics, let's just say, for the sake of argument, they lose that one. Wizards, winnable. Sixers, lose. Cavs, winnable. Bucks, lose. Wolves, winnable. Kings, winnable. Cavs, winnable. Spurs, winnable. Pacers, winnable. Nets, winnable. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to win all these games, right? But those are all games, and from a betting angle, I think at least 10 of those games can be very, depending on what their lines are, can be very, very juicy in getting in on some of the action on this. Because a lot of these teams here, and the stat is out there, a lot of people know it. The Bulls are 1-15 against teams that are five that are 500 or better this season. So they're actually able to compete against some of the lower-ranking teams. I see a lot of teams under 500 on that schedule coming up. And this is the question, guys. Can the team, can the team go 8-6 and six in that stretch? Could they go 10-4? and four? Is that even possible? Or can they even go 500? If they go 500, they're still 6 or 7 games under 500. And then, you know, they're still 3 or 4 games out of the 8 seed. So that's not really going to get it done for them. But it's a fairly soft schedule right now. For those of you betting fans looking for some fun action, I do like them against the Pelicans and the Pistons coming up. They've played well against the Pistons all season long. Do like some of the action against those Cavs games. They're going to play them a couple of times coming up. So just depending on those lines, just make sure that the team is under 500 when the Bulls play them if you're going to be betting because that is the only way to do a safe bet right now until they can prove that they could take on and compete against some 500-plus teams a little bit better, I would not bet on that at all. That would be a huge, huge, huge stay away from me. Let's hit the Cubs real quick. I don't have a lot to say because guess what? The Cubs don't have a lot to give you right now. Very quiet, very quiet on the front. Everyone's just kind of sitting on their edge of their seat waiting for that breaking news that something really bad is going to happen, a.k.a. Chris Bryant is traded, Wilson Contreras is traded. You hear a lot of rumors that they still need to trim 25 million dollars off their payroll how are they going to do that and are they just going to do that and not add to their team at all it's a confusing frustrating time i already feel myself spiraling right now so all i want to bring up is that keep an eye on a couple of things one uh the utility player second baseman brock holt is still available as a free agent I think if his market kind of corrects a little bit and comes down, I think he could be brought in for the Cubs, possibly become a leadoff hitter. And then two, 
this whole situation with Chris Bryant, at this point, I really hope that they don't trade him. I think that the reason that it hasn't happened yet is that the market for him is not correct. And here's the deal, right? If you're not going to be able to get back the top-level prospects that you think you're going to get, why don't you let him play another year, see what happens, and then see if you can assign him. He is still a good player, but guess what? He is... As the days go on, he is playing himself out of becoming a $30 million baseball player. And that's just the fact. And that's the reason why they probably can't trade him right now. His money is probably just exactly where it should be at around the 18 to $24 million range. So, I mean, if you're the Cubs, why don't you just hang on to that and see if you can keep it going? You know, if you really are trying to trade $25 million and you really don't care what you're getting back in return, you know, Quintana and Kimbrell, you can do that right there, boom, boom. And you're pretty much right there where you need to be. So, and obviously we're all talking about it all the time. We've talked about it for years. Can they trade Jay Hay? Would they eat the money? Yada, yada. I'm not a math whiz, but let's be honest. It looks like that's not anything they're going to do. So I am at this point going to spend the rest of the podcast, a good chunk of it on the Chicago White Sox. Ooh, I'm so very, very excited to do that. But first I want to do a quick read from Eight Sleep. You guys are going to have to get your sleep. Because we're going to be staying up watching Cubs and White Sox baseball. They're both going to be fairly competitive this year. And 2019, guys, it's over. I mean, all that bad sleep you had, that is in the past. It is a new decade. Because studies from Harvard and John Hopkins Hospital, they say that chronic sleep deprivation is shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. And also, oh, very strange, Mitch Trubisky also has caused those uh, symptoms too as well. Very strange. But guess what, guys? You need eight hours of sleep. And everyone thinks sleep's biggest problem is, you know, you're not either not getting enough, you're going to sleep too late, you're going to sleep too early. No, it's actually the temperature. It's tough to get a good sleep if you're too hot or too cold. And in 2020, it's time that you get the pod by 8sleep. The pod, it's a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjust the temperature automatically. You don't have to do it. That means if you like the bed cool, like I do, your partner likes the bed warm, like my wife, now you can just have both at the same time. It's that crazy comfortable of a bed. So for this next week, you can get $200 off your pod and a free gravity blanket for the total value of $500. They just want to give it to you. Only at 8sleep.com slash V-S-I-N. That's 8sleep, the number spelled out E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash pro, 8sleep.com slash pro. Check it out, guys, and you can get up to $500 of value coming back at you. So I want to finish it up with this, guys. The White Sox, everyone's talking about them. They've been kind of the darlings of the offseason, making tons of moves. And, guys, I had to get on the pod today because Steve Ciszak, Steve Ciszak signed with the White Sox on a deal that's going to give him $6 million guaranteed. Smart move, veteran guy, had a bad year last year, was really good two years ago, and honestly is better than you know a handful of the options that the White Sox are going to have out of their bullpen. And that is a perfect, that is a perfect thing to do, a perfect signing for the White Sox because it's something that I wanted to talk about today. So everyone's getting really excited about the White Sox, trying to figure out how good they're going to be. They won 73 games last year. Can they actually get the 500? Could they compete for the division? And immediately off the top of my head, I, I, my skepticism mostly lied in the concept of the pitching staff. 
I didn't think the rotation was that great. Even with Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez coming in, I'm still having a lot of reservations about who's going to anchor that rotation. Can Giolito come back and do it again? And then, conversely, that bullpen backing it up. So the first thought in my head was, with the White Sox, it was, who's going to pitch deep into these games? And that's what I was trying to figure out. You know, they had a bunch of guys on their staff currently right now, and it's Keuchel, Dallas Keuchel, Ronaldo Lopez, Gio Gonzalez, Lucas Giolito, and Dylan Cease are right now penciled in to start the rotation. And my first thought was, wow, who is going to exactly pitch into the sixth or seventh inning? Because the White Sox also don't have a bullpen. The White Sox right now, the way they're constructed, they're going to lose a lot of games eight to seven. So I try to dive in, and I try to look at each pitcher at some of the stats that I'm kind of curious in, and I was a little bit surprised, and I walked away feeling actually a little bit better about the situation. So I'm just going to start throwing some things out to you, and it's kind of rounding out to a larger point. Let's start with Dallas Keuchel, who's going to be the de facto, the veteran ace on the staff. Giolito's got the best stuff, and we're hoping that he does become the ace, but you know, when you've lost three in a row, you're going to be looking at Keuchel to come in and get you a win. He had 19 starts last season just because he signed late, signed with the Braves. And surprisingly enough, I thought he was the guy that kind of struggled a little bit in the mid the mid innings. But you know what? He actually got out there and he ate up some innings in the modern baseball sense last season. He pitched into the sixth inning 14 out of those 19 starts. Now, granted, he had a 6.59 ERA in those sixth innings, but that was a little bit better than I thought, to be honest with you. He pitched into the seventh inning five times. So, you know, this is a guy that can actually get a little bit deeper into games, even when he doesn't have his best stuff. Even in 2018, 24 of his 34 starts, he pitched into the sixth inning. 12 of those starts, he made it into the seventh inning. So I'm not looking for the guy to complete games, but I am looking for him to eat up some innings. And Keuchel is a guy that can actually do that. Now, let's go to Ronaldo Lopez. 33 starts last year. 19 of those went into the sixth inning. Another thing that I was a bit surprised of, but here's the deal. Again, a guy that has problems in the sixth inning. An 8.68 ERA when pitching in the sixth. He made it into the seventh six times. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty decent number. But that 19 out of 33 was a little bit higher than I thought. So the problem with Lopez last year was he gave up 35 home runs. His hits allowed jumped from 165 and 188 innings last year to 203 hits and 188 innings in 2018. So those numbers went up a little bit. I do like him a lot. I think he's a guy that still has room to grow. And I was a bit impressed that he was able to make it into the sixth inning as often as I can. But again, he couldn't make it past that. And he had some problems in those innings. Gio Gonzalez. I'm not a big fan of this signing. A lot of people are. I know a couple years ago he was awesome. He was pretty decent last year. But he's just a guy that just doesn't really scare you. I mean, if it was Gio Gonzalez or Wade Miley, I honestly wouldn't really know the difference. He had 17 starts last year. He pitched in the sixth inning four times. He had a 5-4-0 ERA in those four sixth innings that he pitched. And honestly, I don't think that he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to pitch deep into games often. I think... He's, you know, your fourth, fifth starter. You know, if he gives you those 25 starts, if he can get into the sixth inning, you know, five to ten times, that would be great. But I think he's mostly going to be a five-inning guy and a guy that hopefully you just kind of give a quality start to. Maybe provide some veteran leadership at best. Not super excited about that. So let's go next to Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease uh, had 14 starts. Six of those he pitched into the sixth which is pretty decent, but at 6.00 ERA. Are you noticing a trend yet? 
that once these pitchers get into the sixth inning, problems start to happen. Now, obviously, Cease is a young dude. He needs to hone in on his control. He had 35 walks and 73 innings pitched last year. But he had a really good uh, September in his last 21 innings. Posted a 3.00 ERA. I do like his arm from just watching him on TV uh, in general. And, you know, out of those six, so 14 starts and the sixth pitching into that sixth inning, he made it to the sixth inning in five of his last seven starts. So the guy is making progress. But I think we need to temper our expectations with Cease because – you know, he is just now getting his first taste of the action. I do think he can stick around in the rotation. He does that ha- have that kind of stuff, but we need to just temper the expectations there. Now, speaking of expectations, a lot is going to be on the plate of Lucas Giolito this season. Lucas Giolito, 29 starts, 20 of those he pitched into the sixth inning, 11 of those he pitched into the seventh. I mean, when the guy was rocking, you know, forget about it, right? I mean... He had two complete games last year, five times he pitched in the eighth inning. Now, this guy is a possible top-end rotation guy. Now, the problem is, I mean, the hope is that he comes back in shape because that was a big issue with him. He came back. He looked really good, had a different arm angle. That arm angle just absolutely just pops out of the chute. Love watching it. And if he can continue to do that, if he can replicate even just – 85% of what he did last season, he's going to be an excellent addition to our rotation. And hopefully when he, when Kopech comes back in July, Giolito, Kopech, and Keuchel. Now that's a pretty solid one, two, three right there. I'm not upset about that. And, you know, Gio, obviously we're just going to have to kind of wait and see and, and sort of see what happens here. And that's going to be a big thing, right? Managing that bullpen in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. You know, Kalame is our closer. We feel really good about that. Bummer on the back end is a lefty coming out of the pen. We feel really good about that. But those are guys that you're going to want for those eight, nine innings. That five, six, seven right there. White Sox don't have a ton of guys, and they're going to also have to make the right moves in the right situation to get those outs. But hopefully that's where C-Shack can come in and be able to kind of provide a little relief there. So let's talk about the lineup very quickly. Now, let's start with the young kids, right? Tim Anderson led the AL with three uh, with a three thirty five average last year. Actually began to get a little uh, national recognition for flipping the bat. Is a bit of an exciting player. You know, there's a couple of things, though. I got to be honest with you about Tim Anderson. I like him a lot as a player, but, man, he was so different this year as opposed to last year that I can't help but think there's going to be some sort of regression, right? I mean, the dude only walked 15 times in 498 at-bats. You know, that's not great (laughs) his OBP last year was 357 and that was by far the highest he had ever had in his career and that was only able to bring up his career OBP average to 303 I mean 350 360 370 to the layman you know that's probably you know plus to close to all-star level 330 is probably about average 303 is not good uh that is not exactly what you what you want uh for example and the other part about it is his BABIP. Now, this is a stat that's batted balls in play. And basically, it kind of, as a layman, it basically kind of describes about whether a player is lucky or not and how hard he hits the ball and where he hits it and how he's getting his base hits. Tim Anderson had a 399 BABIP last year. That is way too high. Guess what? That is probably going to regress, which means that his batting average is going to regress. Now, he went from a 240 hitter to a 335 hitter. Is there somewhere in the middle that we can land in and both be happy about this? I think that there is a scenario there. But 
at the same time, you know, he's got a lot to improve on. Um, he's got a lot to improve on for sure. I mean, in his final 53 games, he was awesome. Don't get me wrong. He slashed 357, 376, 529 with 25 extra base hits in his last 15, 53 games. You think that there is more to come, right? But keep in mind, and this is something that we're going to have to keep an eye on, the young guys, they struggled with runners in scoring position. Situational hitting is still something that has to be um, – acquired in the game of a guy like Anderson. You know, he posted only a 70, a 769 OPS with runners in scoring position last year. The year before that, it was 649. I mean, you guys, that has to improve. Um, it doesn't matter whether he leads the AL in hitting or not. I would probably prefer if his average went down 30, 30 40 points, but that running percent, that runners in scoring percentage OPS goes up. I would, I would prefer that more than anything else. Yo Mokata. I love the dude. What else can I say? I mean, his exit velocity on average hit balls last year was 93. The average in the uh, Major League Baseball was 89. The dude smokes the ball, right? And here's the funny thing. His bat bip was 406, which you're like, oh, well, Joey, that's probably going to regress. Regress, But I think that he has a little bit more – he has a little bit more of a padded cushion there because I think he hits the ball so hard. Mankata, I like the dude a lot. I think he can completely be a cornerstone. He could be a middle-of-the-order guy. I do think hitting him number two in the lineup is probably the best way to go. His numbers last year kind of fleshed that out, that he had a lot of success from that spot in the lineup. And 31 RBIs in his final 53 games, another guy that finished up the season strong. Like him a whole lot. Keep moving on. Let's go to Eloy. Now, Eloy, what was funny about Eloy Jimenez last year was one, Seemed like he hurt himself several times playing outfield. That terrifies me. Uh, the dude is definitely going to be a DH at some point in his career. Obviously not right now. And what was really funny about it was he had actually told the press last year that he was really he was really um, pressing out there on the field. Said that the money, he was trying to prove that he was worth the money in the contract. And it showed because he was awful at home last year. He had only 238 with a 291 on base percentage and a 456 slugging at home last season. That's in contrast to what the numbers which more which I think was more in line with what we're going to see from him moving forward. He slashed 290, 335, 557 on the road. I think that's more the Eloy Jimenez that we're going to see on a consistent basis than the one we saw at home. And I think that that pressure will eventually drift away a little bit. Look at this though. His final 60 games, 11 doubles, 15 home runs, 41 RBIs in his final 60. Hit 292. And, again, young guy, again, going to have to improve a little bit against lefties. Didn't really mash and take control of that situation when it should be an advantage as a right-handed hitter. Again, another guy hit only 235 with the runners in scoring position. And what I also noticed from watching him last year is, as much as I want to believe that this guy is going to be a, a run-producing cornerstone for us for seasons to come, and I still believe that as a White Sox fan, I would this season personally hit him down in the lineup. We, we signed some veterans, some guys that know what they're doing, and I would just leave Eloy down in the fifth, sixth, maybe even the seventh spot in the lineup and just let him mash in peace. Don't put too much on his plate. We just got through the first season. We showed that he's a good dude who's trying to maybe too hard to get things done. So let's just take a moment here and let's just bring him along a little bit slower slower than we thought even though just because the veterans are coming in and that's the thing is we got guys in the middle of the lineup that can carry the load okay Abreu had a fantastic season last year 
We signed Edwin Encarnacion. Edwin Encarnacion. He hit 303 with runners in scoring position last year. That's super solid. Grandal slugged, slugged 509. Yasmani Grandal slugged 509 um, with runners in scoring position last year, and he had an on-base percentage of 380. Okay. Now these are two guys that I think, you know, I think your 345 is probably Abreu Encarnacion Grandal in some sort of order to start off the season. I would keep the veterans there. I know that there's going to be a temptation to put Eloy possibly into that spot, but I wouldn't, man. I'd leave him down there. I'd leave him at the bottom, and I would just let him kind of do his thing. Now, the big X factor, obviously, is the Nomar Mazera move. You know, for seasons, everyone, you know, thought that he was going to be fantastic. 2017, I actually had him on my fantasy team. He was pretty solid, to be honest with you. Uh, he had 76 RBIs and 156 runners in scoring position chances at bats in 2017 dude was able to get it done then but ever since then he has been absolutely brutal an ops of 634th runners in scoring position that is just not going to get it done that's bottom of the barrel stuff there um he did finish up the season strong last year he had 287 had 15 extra base hits but i'm not really sure exactly what we're going to get out of him would i love to see the white Sox really go in and sign nick castellanos I would, but here's the deal, right? After all these signings, you know, they have thrown some money around, but I can't see them giving more than $80 million to Castellanos. And the rumors out there seem like Castellanos wants $100 million. So what are you going to do there exactly? So in that regard, I think Mazzara is ultimately going to be fairly a frustrating player. Of course, they're hoping that they could unlock something from him and bring back, uh, you know, why he was such a highly touted prospect, kind of bring that talent back up back up to the surface and see it kind of bloom for the first time. But I'm a little bit more skeptical on that. And then finally, the bullpen. You know, Colome was good. Bummer was good. I like the C-Shack signing. Now you got three guys. Evan Marshall. I don't know how to feel about Evan Marshall, to be honest with you. 29-year-old um, was pretty good last year. A guy that they definitely trusted um, fairly heavily uh, in a lot of different situations last year. Posted a 2.20 ERA in his final 30 games. Held opponents to only a 2.04 batting average. But again, it was a wild. It was a wild effective. I mean, he walked 18 hitters in 28 innings. The whip isn't where you want it to be. The bat bip was a little low. You think that might go up a little bit. So I'm not sure if exa- you could exactly count on him. I am curious, kind of, to see. You know, can they take some of these guys, some of these highly touted prospects? Like I'm looking at you, Carson Fulmer. Can Carson Fulmer come into camp in shape, and could he possibly become a fifth, sixth, seventh inning guy? That would be huge because that's kind of what this team is really missing is those little small little role player pieces that can kind of get it done. So to wrap up, you know, who has the most pressure on them going into the White Sox season? Is it Keuchel? You know, is it the young kids? You know, who is it? You know, is it Giolito? You know, none of that stuff. You want to know who has the most pressure on them? Coming into the season, it's Ricky Renteria. Ricky Renteria, for the first time, actually has a squad that has some sort of expectation to it to win ball games. He actually has veterans on his team that he needs to coach and to know how to push the right buttons. And let me tell you something right now. If at some point in the season you see Moncada and Jimenez hitting next to each other in the lineup, that is a that's the red flag right there that Ricky Renteria can't get this job done. They have too many veterans on this squad, too many guys that know how to handle the bat, 
And you, and that's the thing that I want to see with him. I want to see how he handles the pitching staff in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning situations. Okay, I want to see how he makes out his lineup now with this cast of veterans and young kids. Can he create a blend, a balance, something that makes sense? Mancada and Jimenez hitting next to each other does not make sense. Mancada and Tim Anderson hitting next to each other does not make sense. Can he be able to sprinkle in those veterans, those guys that know how to use their bat, and while these other kids can grow in the same time and actually make some decisions. And I'm I'm putting a lot of pressure on the manager, to be honest with you, because I still don't know if this team can win more than 80 games. Just the way that it's constituted right now. They've made a lot of really, really great strides. Don't get me wrong. And this is January right now. But I do have a bit of a reservation as to whether they can actually make that next leap and get into a playoff situation. And it's going to come down to, obviously, the growth of the kids. Uh, the growth of the pitching staff, but it's really going to kind of come down to who is Ricky Renteria as a manager? You know, is he a guy that can take this team to the next level? Can he make the right decisions with the collection of talent that he now has? And he's never had this kind of talent before. We really don't have a lot of experience about what Renteria can do with something like this. So I I think that's a big thing to watch. And man, I'm kind of excited to watch it. Uh, I think we're going to have two baseball teams that are going to be really fun to check out this year. You know, guys, that's going to do it. I just wanted to get a few things off my chest to start the decade. 2020 is here, you guys, and I'm so glad that you're here with me uh, checking it out. And I'm glad you're here checking out the Believe Podcast Network. I was looking today. I think they have over 170 different shows now for you to check out. So if you have an interest in anything, go to Believe.com because chances are there is a podcast about it. Okay. I want to thank our sponsors today, my bookie and eight sleep make sure you check out eightsleep.com to get up to five hundred dollars back and keep in mind with my bookie if you use the promo code blv they're going to match your offer or your bet up to one thousand dollars again so if you put in two thousand dollars they will give you one thousand dollars of free money to play with definitely worth it during the football season right now Um, and thank you so much for listening and checking it out we're going to come back more we're going to have some guests we're going to keep talking about shy sports because that's what i know and that's what i love my name is joey christopoulos this was betting chicago have a great day guys thanks thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.